Tim Joyce. <laughs> I've never seen you in glasses, man. I don't yeah, think I'm a little looking, trying to get a little academic here. I'm going into my next fundraising round. You know, I want to. <laughs> you want to look smarter more. than you actually are. That's 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 pretty smart. That's pretty smart. Exactly, I like it. Exactly. <laughs> and looks like uh, the scenery has also changed. So you're back. Yep, I'm back. I've made it back to Dublin. I'm back at home. Just saw my family after being on the road for a month. So um, I forgot the alarm to the house when I came in the door and set it off. <laughs> and my dog remembered me. And all jabbed up. Uh, did you did you play the music walking in before you walked oh, in? Of, yeah, of well, I, like I said, I set the alarm off, so I, I was oh, it was blaring. That was it. <laughs> An appropriate entrance there. But my, my entrance songs are, I've been playing the entrance songs from abroad. So I've been playing it at night for dinner. I've been activating the Alexa from the US. Nice, nice. Um, what else? Before we, uh, our, our guest, I'm, I've been actually very, very like um, excited to, to have her on. But before we do, I uh, just want to give a huge shout out to our biggest fans, uh, one of Matthew Holt yeah. and Justin Massa, 200 episode. Um, that, yeah. That's crazy. I, I think they said I've been doing this for three years. Um, I will pat myself on the back. I now have the largest number of takeovers on that show. Um, <laughs> you, you and I had one of them when they sort of right. took a couple right. of hours, but that was. Did you take fun. over the two hundredth? You took over the two hundredth episode. Uh, uh, well, not completely. So it was me, okay. uh, Glenn Tolman, uh, Lisa okay. Sunan, um, and uh, Ian Morrison, who apparently was uh, Matthew Holt's old boss and mentor. I. Okay. I, I don't know how it's like to manage Matthew Holt, but um, <laughs> nor, nor, yeah. so anyway, um, I, you know, I let, let's let her in because I have a feeling, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have enough time. Kind of light up our Wednesday. I, we, yes, we're, we're hoping to be uh, the, right. the vampires today, <laughs> right? Hi. Hi, well, Alexandra. Now we can see you. How's it going? <laughs> nice so to first meet you. of all, first of all, meet Jim. Hi, Jim. I think we've Alex. met before, Jim. Yeah, I'm thinking we'd have too. I was, I was actually just listening to you on um, your TED Med talk the other day, and I'm like, I, I definitely know her. But my, you know, as I get older and <laughs> as I move on in years, <laughs> going. Yeah. In well, and this I think is so amazing. This is and so fun. How are you? You and your woman are doing the most amazing things. Oh my God, I had so much fun like creeping all over it today. Big heart. <laughs> yes. And Jim, I checked you out too. I was had a free time and I was like, oh my God, what are these guys doing right now? Because I, you didn't have a touch in forever. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Well, we are meticulously unproduced, but never completely unprepared. So, uh, which is <laughs> <Right>. great. <laughs> and by the way, I usually, I don't know if you, if you peeked at any of the other episodes, I usually drink whiskey, but today, just for your sake, I decided to be, um, you know, a little more elegant. So I have a vermouth going on tonight. So, uh, that's it. What are you drinking? <laughs> okay. Jim? So you're in, you're in Barcelona and Jim, you are in, um, Ireland? In Dublin, in Dublin. I'm just... I'm just back after a, a month abroad. Um, I, get, I went over to the States to get my shots and my uh, check-in with the family and everything else like that. So I, I just got back, I'm back this, four hours. This morning, this guy's hanging out with us, um, Alex. Well, but so when I looked at this, cause you were, you're from someplace more local to me. I'm Beverly, I'm Boston. 
So ah, okay, yeah, yeah. I grew up in uh, Needham, Massachusetts. You know, yeah. that, you know, um, and that's where I spent the first part, and kind of then New York, and then Dublin. Uh, last yeah. twenty years. Um, well, it makes makes me so happy. And Eugene, I, I always think about Health 2.0 whenever I think about, you know, the dawn of what I would call digital health to me happened in many ways there at Health 2.0, right? It was a, all of us yeah. weird people kind of found each other and and began to cultivate these things that now are sort of the norm, right? Like every other industry in the world I, is trying to run in and do it. I have to tell you, Alex, um, my sort of Public, you impacted my public speaking abilities uh, tremendously. And to this day, I actually use you as an example to Marina. And the reason I remember being backstage, right? You were about to go on and I'm going either after you or a couple of people behind you. And I see you sort of, and I hope you don't mind, but I know you're a very open person. You're just pacing, right? And you're sort of in your own head. And, and I actually remember coming up to you and saying, uh, are you like you okay? It's like, oh yeah, that's like that's how that's what I do. <laughs> Something similar to that. Right. And so, right. as put together and as eloquent you are, Alex, on stage, we all go through these, you know, moments prior to stepping on. And so, oh well, and I would even say, I and I feel this so strongly. I am almost always about to throw up. <laughs> definitely sweating, like often full on. Please tell your beautiful woman beads of sweat going down my back no matter what and it doesn't get easier and what i say I say this all the time to me if there's a moment that i don't feel that way then i need to stop because yeah. what i carry in my bones is like god how lucky are we to have this moment to try and interact with anybody whether it's on the street or it's in a meeting or heaven forbid lucky yeah. enough to be at a conference with right. a group of folks to try and like i'll always say to myself what do I want this audience to feel after? And what do I hope they start doing differently immediately? And if I die tomorrow, and this is the last thing I ever say, what is it? Because what the three of us are working on, it matters so much, so much. Yep. And we just can't take it seriously enough. That doesn't mean you should be anxious. It just means you should be respectful of the right. great you know, honor you have in speaking to people about what we're lucky enough to get to do. So and do you have a little, uh, you have a little routine? I know you, you, you pace, you pace, but, but is there, do you start like when you're giving your talk, do you have like a little like routine that kind of gets you into zone or like, give me that like initial experience. So there's, there's probably two things I do. One is, and Eugene has seen this for years. I prepare, prepare, prepare. I don't think you, and I, and I'm so stressed out. And everyone's like, why are you preparing so much? Because it's a great honor because it really matters. Yep. And because I want, if this is especially if you're moderating, like I think that's the most important thing you do is, is support the event, you support the audience, you support whoever you're interviewing or whatever you're doing. So number one, prepare, prepare, prepare. You can't prepare enough. And then number two, um, I think humility is key. I'm a humongous believer. Like I know if I watch somebody take the stage and they start talking about how awesome they are, immediately I start to feel badly about myself instantaneously. I'm like, I'm not yep. so awesome. Why are they so awesome? And then I kind of can feel a little bit 12 ish. I'm 12 in my soul sometimes. And I'm like, well, no, I hope you fall off the stage since you're so awesome. So <laughs> I try and share more about the things that are not working. I try and be the most transparent about the stuff I'm doing that sucks and where I'm feeling insecure or anxious. And I find in doing that, 
I sort of take away anybody's ability, I hope, to laugh at me because I'm owning up front. I'm afraid you're laughing at me. I'm afraid you don't take what I'm doing seriously. So if you are doing that, that's okay. I've said it out loud. Now we can move on to the business at hand. And so I, I sort of go through those stages. Love it. And Jim, now, now that you watch the TED Talk or any other, I mean, I haven't rewatched Alex because I've seen her live, but um, I mean, she's amazing. So, yep. uh, but good. we're like, we're like 10 minutes into it and um, our, our millions of listeners and viewers don't know who you are. So maybe just like a little brief intro and then Hello we dive to right the millions. in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, I think the best way to describe it very, very quickly, and you can see behind me, Eugenie will love this. Yeah, and Jim, you I, I, I already have millions of questions on that alone. So we, we not, well, this, I think, I think we're going to pull a Tim Harris today, Jim. I hope you have time, like do two hours now. Let's go. So um, I think the easiest way to describe very, very quickly, and then I want to go, Eugenia and I were texting and whatever, writing each other back and forth. And I think we should call this love and scars, right? Like, what do we want to be together today? We want to like spread the love, show our scars so that other people can learn, feel less alone. And where, where my first real aha moment in the healthcare space was working at Eliza and having the enormous privilege of sitting on top of genuinely what we would now call a population health omni-channel communication platform. But what it enabled us to do, we had the first ever patent on using speech recognition in an outbound calling capacity. And we did that because most people using speech recognition were using it for inbound. And inbound is people who are calling in because they have something that they want to accomplish or something that they know a conversation they're about to have. So that's a different speech recognition challenge than if we are calling outbound to people, number one. Number two, if, if I think about the people in the healthcare space that we're all trying to serve, it's not the ones who are already engaged. If you're engaged, gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yay, good for you. I'm worried about all the people who are not engaged, who we can't find. And so when we used outbound calling, we were getting to the folks who had not done whatever they were supposed to do, called in the healthcare system, gone to have the visit, picked up the medication, whatever it might be. And what we learned over the course of what, by the time I left Eliza, we had done over a billion interactions with people about their health, was when you actually got one of these souls, these beautiful souls on the phone, what they wanted to talk about was not their diabetes, their cardiovascular disease, whether or not they should get a mammogram. It was very clearly, very plainly data supported caregiver stress, financial stress, relationship stress, and workplace stress. And that wasn't our invention. That was, if you listen to people in the wild and you don't project onto them what they care about, you really, you, you don't even ask any questions. You just listen to what they're saying. That's what they're going to talk about. You know, my mom with Alzheimer's, she just moved in. I'm not having sex anymore. I hate my boss so much. I can't breathe. I'm pretty sure one of my kids is on drugs, right? Real fears and pains and vulnerabilities. And we thought, well, maybe that's actually Maybe those are really the biggest diseases in the U.S. And that launched the unmentionables. I love you, Matthew Holt, being bold enough and brave enough and unorthodox enough to really give us a stage to talk about the unmentionables year after year. And we built, with the help of Wendy Lynch, we built lots and lots of data to actually prove that these are conditions. And the presence and magnitude of these unmentionables or life sucks disease factors, or now we would call social determinants of health. If you measure that against your personal balance of positive and negative coping factors, you get measurable top and bottom line impact. 
So that Amazing. one was sort of the aha of Eliza. In parallel to that, we lost my beautiful, beautiful sister-in-law um, to brain cancer. She was diagnosed and I had to get hitched to her brother and she died seven months later, textbook case of overtreatment and love again to Matt, Matthew Hole. I love you, I love you. Because once again, way before, this is 2008, way before, and the unmentionable started in 2010, 2008, before anybody was talking about death or yeah. giving death a stage. The oh, one slide. Me. Right? The one, the one slide. slide project, Engage with yeah. Grace. Yeah. How do we have these, how do we normalize, destigmatize, and have these conversations about how to live our very best days until our last, way before we have to? And so when left, when we left Eliza, we looked at the overlap between those two and it was the unpaid caregiver, right? If we want to sustainably, scalably bend trend, reduce costs, more importantly, improve quality, make people's days better, their lives better, we've got to focus on that unpaid caregiver. And that's sort of the arc. So I, I remember, um, and, and you did say, I think in your bio somewhere, it says five-time entrepreneur, but um, the, one, the one thing that I remember hearing at one of the JPMs was Alex went to Walmart and is talking to people in the front lines. Uh, you know, I would love, love, love to dig into sort of, you know, A, what sort of, what was the aha moment to say, you know what? I'm going to go drop everything and talk to these hundreds of people per day, or, you know, would love to hear a little bit about your experience there. That is probably like, you know, Eliza's insights, engage with Grace insights. And then, and in Walmart is probably the top, top of all of them. But why we did that is because when we went to start Archangels take one, which was a movement to really get these unpaid caregivers, invisible heroes, unsung heroes recognized. We tried to roll that movement out and it was a funky idea. And you don't roll funky ideas that are ahead of their time out with health plans, do you? No, but I forgot that. And so we tried to do something- That's good, that's good that you have a short-term memory, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. it's good, like you know. Scar, scar, scar. So that was a big <sighs> fail. So the best way I can describe it is, and you know, my co-founder in that is Sarah stevens Winnet, who is my co-founder in Archangels Take Two. We have an incredible team now. Um, but she, she took that after that we were like, this just isn't working. We were bootstrapped. You can't lie to yourself when you're bootstrapped, right? There's no $20 million. Back then it would have been like $5 million in the bank. Now it'd be like $100 million in the bank, but there's nothing oh, yeah. in the bank. People are paying right. for that. And she went to work at Aetna because we were really curious. When we leave as a startup, when we leave the room, what do people say? Do right. they say those entrepreneurs are crazy? Like, are they smarter than us? Do they really know what it should cost? Like, what are they saying? So she went to find that out. And I had what can only be considered um, a midlife crisis and <laughs> felt like I live in a bubble. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost there. <laughs> oh, maybe. once you've had it and you acknowledge you're having it you realize we should have one once a year because it's basically like a come to jesus meeting with yourself yeah. it's what much of the country has had since covid it's like facing yeah. death it's a moment of what really matters to me and what right. is true and who am i and you know if i were to die tomorrow what do i want to do and right. i have this self epiphany that I really lived in a bubble and that I was spending my time, you know, traveling around, talking on stages about, about this population that I so wanted to serve, which is these folks who are being tortured by these things. 
And meanwhile, from Maslow's hierarchy perspective, you know, the basics were good for me. And I wasn't worried about transportation, safety, food, right? Yep. Right. A house over my head. And that's, that's very unusual and very privileged. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be always looking at things from that perspective. And you, I read a lot of studies. Everybody reads a lot of studies. So what? Yep. So um, I thought I want to go work at Walmart. And you guys will both appreciate this because you probably know Marcus Osborne, right? Do you know Marcus Osborne? I actually don't. Okay, so Marcus now um, is uh, doing the Walmart health effort. Marcus has been, when, when Eliza was very early on, because I love Walmart, obviously. I love Walmart because 50% of the U.S. before COVID goes through Walmart every week. 50%, 95% at least once a year. I love I love Marcus because he was, when we were at Eliza, he was our key contact. And he, because he carried with him the, the absolute raw, authentic perspective, not on what do we talk about in the boardroom, what looks pretty on a whiteboard, but what plays out for real people out in the wild, um, he would always give us good feedback. And the first time he ever liked anything we were doing was when we talked about the image. So I called Marcus and said, leaving Eliza, building on the immeasurables. I feel like I live in a bubble. Hey, Marcus, you're a Walmart executive. I want to be a Walmart cashier. Will you get me a job? And there was like this long pause. And then he started yep. crying with laughter. He said, did you just hear yourself? I'm like, yeah, Marcus, get me a job. And he said, you just said, hey, Walmart executive, I live in a bubble, get me a job. He said, get your own mother effing job. And he hung up the phone. And I was like, I don't know, I, I don't know how to get a job. And that was the whole point. It, so that's what it's. Uh, do you ever watch Larry David? This reminds me when Larry David <laughs> went to work at a dealership a bit, and like everybody was just like, "Why? What? Why? Why are you doing this? What?" Yeah, yeah, and it's what I what I will tell you. That's amazing. I had a couple epiphanies within the first three days. One is we are all way more. Wait, how did so? How did you get the job? So yeah. I, I, I sat and sweat. I don't have a sweating problem, but many of my stories resolve on being panicky. <laughs> or maybe I do have a sweating problem, but I literally, I sweat champagne, Eugene, though, just so you know. But I literally like sat in my office for three weeks straight trying to get up the courage to apply online for a job at the Walmart that was closest to me, Store 2660. I love you, Store 2660. Um, North Reading. In, Ma in, in Massachusetts? Or? In Ma North Reading, Massachusetts. Okay. And I didn't know how to do it. I had never applied for a job online before. And yeah. I just kept waiting until finally one day I did it. And for any of us who've never done that before, it was, it was scary because I was trying to outthink whether or not I was answering correctly. Sure. And all I kept thinking in my head is like, what if English was not my first language? And a lot of the questions were double negatives. Hmm. And how would I be answering? And am I answering correctly? Got a job interview with Susan West, who now moonlights with us at Archangels. Um, and, you know, again, like experience after experience, like the first day, when was the last time you sat outside a room full of people and nobody knew you and nobody liked you and nobody cared and you were like trying to figure out where to sit at a table, right? You know that feeling like eighth grade feeling? That was all my Walmart feeling in the beginning. Well, you're saying last week, Eugene? Or yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, so yes, in, in our healthcare conferences, but Eugene, the second you sit down, someone's like, what do you do? And you tell them and you're like, oh, I love you. 
Yeah. Nobody cares about what I was talking about. But Alexander, just to get to again, give me some context here. So, so you grew like in not to click way back, but you, so you grew up in Massachusetts. You're a, a Massachusetts, and then you you had started off. You didn't you didn't come from healthcare, but you were come as an executive, or you, you, you when you did your first Eliza company, you. Yeah. So my my dad is a serial entrepreneur. He was okay. one of the very, he was in the first angel investing groups ever called the Breakfast Club that was founded here in Boston. Okay. Um, and so I grew up in a, in a startup environment, in a bootstrapping, this is what you do, you do what you believe in. The difference between angel investing, I will argue, and other types of investing is angels, they want to do it themselves. They just don't have the time or energy anymore, but they would. Right. They care so much. They can't let it die. Um, and watching my dad support all these baby companies on the things that he believed in was amazing. When I got out and I worked with him through the years, when I got out of college, what I really wanted to do was go work um, in technology. I wanted okay. to work with Danny Hillis at Thinking Machines because I was obsessed with massively parallel processing supercomputers because they mimic the way the brain works. Um, okay. But my dad and other smart people, my parents, other people said, you know, you know, you know that space. You don't have the right to choose that yet. Go do something else. So I went to be a strategy consultant and my first case I got assigned at CDI, which became Oliver Wyman, um, was in healthcare. And I was distraught. I went home in the old days, you had to like pick up an old phone, call my mom. And I was like, this is terrible. I hate what healthcare is so boring. Like, I don't want to work in healthcare. I want to work in retail, travel, automotive, banking. And probably again, within three days, I obviously have like a three day half-life. Um, I was like this, I will never leave healthcare. Because healthcare is humanity, healthcare yeah. is people, healthcare is stories, healthcare is love, healthcare is passion, it's loss, it's fear, it's community, right? So then it's, you went in, you then, then from there, you went and set up Eliza, right? So uh, and did Eliza for two years, did um, CDI for two years left to go start my first startup, which was like, I won't get into it, left that to do second startup, left that to go do... Um, Eliza. Eliza. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're like, and then, you're dark, and then Archangel. So you're like uh, multiple startups come from a, uh, from a family, obviously blown away by the healthcare. And then you had an epiphany and said, I want to be a Walmart cashier. So I just want to get the context here. Yes, <laughs> like, so no, now I need to apply for a job as a Walmart cashier. I love well, it. So going through and realizing before, before Walmart, that realization that we have to expand the definition of health to include life. When life goes yep. wrong, health goes wrong. Yep. And that, and in, and really this broader notion, like we have to get outside these silos and traditional definitions. And what Walmart really taught me was the best way I can describe it is this, there's retail, there's, there's financial services, there's healthcare. In the eyes of a human, there's just life. So we're the only ones, we, from an industry corporate perspective, are the only people who are like, I work in healthcare, I work in financial services, I work in entertainment. The rest of the world just wakes up and from the second they open their eyes, they're stressed out or panicking, most likely, hopefully not about something, right? right. I'm worried about my kids. I, I'm, you know, my mom just moved in, I'm worried about money, whatever it might be. And you see that play out over and over again in Walmart. The, the, the only hour that I don't worry about anything is this hour. <laughs> and and the only and, and and the only the only thing I get the guest stressed out <clears throat> is if the guest is going to be on time because I don't want to edit this shit. So, <laughs> Eugene, I was so afraid I was going to be late. You were like, See? "Don't you be late," 
And I was like, I, and I, I was coming from the meeting. I was like, trying to dial in. My computer froze. Yeah. It was and and you, get, you get stressed out that I'm not going to show up. Or... <laughs> yeah, honestly, less so. Are you pretty reliable at this point after five seasons? So. <laughs> okay, so I want to go yeah, into like... So, so, okay, so you wanted to, so you had done all these amazing things, set up these companies, passionate about healthcare, and you wanted to break out of your own personal kind of uh, psychology and, and bubble, as you describe it, and just do something completely, you know, kind of transformative to like your perspective. No, was, was that it, it or no? It was an act of desperation. It was okay. a, who am I? What am I doing? I think I'm full of shit. I don't actually know what I'm talking about how how can I have any idea about these things I'm talking about when the only friends, the only people I hang out with, this was during the election. It was four okay. years ago, five, five years ago now. It was during the first, when um, the last election, before the yep. most recent election. And the people were at each other's throats. And, yep. you know, I moved in a circle where a lot of people felt a certain <laughs> way. And I kept saying to myself, I just don't believe that 50% of the country is wrong. I just... I don't under, I want to better understand why, why do you see this and you see that? Okay. And, and literally being at Walmart, probably like day seven, long enough to already, I fall in love very quickly, okay. already like loved one of my coworkers. This is probably like week four, actually, to be fair. And we got into a big old fight. When you're a cashier, one of the things you do, if no one's in your line is you, you, you start, you like tidy up, you know, make sure that chocolate bars right. are in the right place. And we were doing that next to each other. And he wanted to vote for somebody different than I wanted to vote for. Okay. And the language that he used, if, if I'd ever heard that in any other setting from somebody, I would think up yours. Mm -hmm. Instead, right. I was like, <clears throat> okay, let me take a second and think about all the context that you just gave me. That, that kind of makes sense. And yeah. so I still want to vote for somebody differently, but I love you and I understand why you're making the voting. You are changed. And so what happened for me was, you know, this notion that we're all more alike than different, fully ingrained onto my body. And that if you look at the core things we all care about, it's to care for someone else and be cared for ourselves. And also retail is the front line of health. When you are looking for where real people are, they're not coming into the doctor's office. They're not, you know, signing into your ERG or your EAP or wherever you bucketed this wellness stuff you're doing. They're out living their lives, panicking about the things that aren't going well. And I thought maybe the stuff that we tried with Archangels take one that failed, we could actually try rolling out in the aisles of Walmart. Okay. So talk to us a little bit more about Archangels, right? Because I think to your point, um, your experience in Walmart, you learned a crap load. Um, you know, you got many different perspectives, not just another one perspective, but probably hundreds and thousands. I, I don't know how long you stayed um, talking to people, but I also remember somebody talking about that you were just asking simple questions while people were checking out. And like, so maybe transition a bit, like what are you doing with Archangels and how that experience drove you to it even further? With the so the first eight months that I was at um, Walmart, I, I had not yet, we, we had not yet hatched how to roll this into Archangel's take to where we were beginning to what we hadn't yet. And I really do believe, and Jim, I guarantee you feel this way too. I know Eugene does. You learn quickly that anybody on the street, anybody, if you stop them, you could do an hour long documentary on their life. 
everybody is fascinating. And yeah. I will tell you, I would listen to these stories. Sometimes someone would be talking to me as a cashier. Sometimes they'd just be talking to the person behind them. And the sense of community, I think the more privileged you get, the more removed from society people become, the more layers of skin is the best way I can describe it, we add. And when you're in the aisles of Walmart, like somebody could turn around to somebody else and just say, oh, sorry about that. I, I forgot, can you grab that for me? You know, my, my, um, you know, my, my aunt has an opioid addiction and blah, blah, blah. And the person I'm like, yeah, I dealt with that too. How are you doing? Right, enormous willingness to engage on the most foundational, important, elemental. Right. Um, and so that sort of storytelling that emerges either because you observe other people sharing their stories or you just ask one follow-up question was enormously just validating caregiver stress, financial stress, relationship stress, workplace stress. And so many of the financial workplace um, relationship stress issues kept boiling down to caregiving, some issue around a caregiving challenge. Okay. And so Archangels Take Two is, is a fa- you think of it as like a movement and it's a platform that's reframing how caregivers are seen, honored and supported using a combination of data and stories. And you feel that dance, right? It's like, it's movement, it's also a platform. It's data and it's stories. And I will also say we, that the channels that we, where we wanna go find people is not just, if you think about the unpaid caregiver, a lot of them have to, 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 to leave their jobs as of COVID, but even before. So right. if you're only looking for them when they are employed or when they're covered, so you're selling to employers or health plans, you're missing a huge percentage. So how can we also be rolling out through townships, communities, faith-based organizations, states. So those caregivers who just as clearly need support, we're, we're finding them. And I'll, just for context, because I know you guys are rabble-rousing entrepreneurs, market size matters. Our most recent data, 66% of the US right now, adults, says yes, if you say, are you worrying about or caring for the health of a family member, neighbor, or friend? We published data with the CDC, 56% of unpaid caregivers have anxiety or depression. They're increasing their use of substances at five times the rate and one in three have had suicidal ideation. And they're decreasing their use of the healthcare system. So they're the sickest and they're getting the least support. Right, so, the actual caregivers, the caregivers. The unpaid caregivers, not the paid caregivers. So okay. paid caregivers in my mind, doctor, nurse, tech, yeah. Walmart cashier, that's a caregiver. They're caring for their community. Postal worker, paid caregiver. Daughter of, of insert my parents, neighbor, like anyone who's taking on an unpaid role to care for somebody. Yeah, and if, yeah. and I'll, I'll be honest, I actually expected the 66%. Um, I would have thought it's even higher. I, I mean, it's, uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's still an astounding number, but I, I, I just, I, yeah. So you're, that's why I love you, because you're the only one who's ever said that. Most people are like, really? And I saw this number. And so, Eugene, to build on that, I, I, you got to hear but, this, though. 45% are men. I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll tell you why yeah. I, before I hold the 45% of men, because I'd love to hear yeah. that. Um, but to me, it's like, I don't comprehend. I mean, every single person out there has family and friends. Right? right. And so you are always caring about your family and friends. 
So that's why I'm kind of like 66, two out of three. Like I, you know, where's the other third, right? Um, right. The, so the other third is somebody who either genuinely just doesn't realize what you just said, because that is true, and or their level of intensity, that's a term we use, your caregiver yeah. intensity, is just way lower right then, either temporarily and it's gonna flare back up or because they have not, everyone in their family is healthy and they live in a healthy neighborhood, they're super privileged, right? right? That one in three suicidal ideation, where does it, where is it more? Black, Hispanic, Latinx, yeah. younger, essential workers. So there are populations for whom right now they're skirting by. Um, and, and so your platform is, is you're bringing people onto your, you're bringing people onto your platform. And so maybe just for some context of like how people get involved with your platform. Yeah. So we, and this is, you know, Archangels Take One was trying to build a program for caregivers. Okay. And the problem was we couldn't get anybody to it because caregivers don't think they're a caregiver. They're just a son, just a name, you know, brother, mm -hmm. wife, husband, partner, whatever it might be. Um, and the movement component of Archangels is we have to destigmatize and normalize who caregivers are. So our name is Archangels because people are confused over the term caregiver. And right. we believe that to the extent caregivers are our country's unsung heroes, they're Archangels and Archangels are like warrior angels. They're like spreading their wings out over these people that they're caring for. And they're fierce ambassadors on behalf of this person. And so what we wanted to do was create aspiration. What we want to do is create aspiration around this role. And back to that Eliza analogy, if somebody likes the term caregiver and they are responding to the email or the poster or the flyer or the social media thing that says, hey, caregivers, we see you and we love you, awesome. But to those who aren't, we're gonna offer them a different persona. And, and all of our materials, if you look at them, they're designed really with like a biker in mind. We want a guy to be able to walk into a bar with an Archangel's logo emblazoned on the back and another guy to come up to him and say, dude, you're an Archangel, no. me too, how you doing? No. You okay, can I help, what's up? So it's, it's starting, it's pulling way back and saying until we aspirationalize, glorify, recognize and honor the sanctity of this role, we're not right. gonna, we're not gonna get anywhere. And, and then and once also, we've done that, yep. Sorry, and, and also destigmatize it, right? Because I think there are individuals that don't want to admit they're caregivers or or ashamed of it somehow. I like it's you know. So I think it's a combination of all of those. It's uh, do, do you have people doing tattoos, archangel tattoos? <laughs> um, I can't. You, tell you, you use the biker analogy, so I, no. You know. But actually, we get questions like that all the time. The logo is cool. And the Archangels t-shirt, I think it's the first ever t-shirt that was designed to be worn under a Walmart vest. Has right. the Walmart, has the Archangels logo here, has something on the sleeves, they're poking out. And then on the back, which is why people love to wear it after, has a big old logo on the back. Um, but the, the interesting thing, so first you got to destigmatize and normalize. But then Eugene, do you remember the vulnerability index? which was that data tool that we used to get somebody to sort of go through a series of questions. Is it, was it under Pew or no? We, Susanna. Talking, yeah, Susanna. We, she, we need to have her on as well, by the way. Oh my shout God. Out to, shout out to Susanna. Susanna Fox. Um, so 
it was, we did it with Wendy Lynch, but it was, it was basically a series of questions that very short, very quick, that when you got to the answer, you got a score and that score validated for you how hard things were and then told you what to do about it. So Jim, fast forward, the caregiver intensity index just built on all that learning. So we're basically measuring for a caregiver in a very short set of questions, the level of intensity that they're experiencing that manifests in the score and they're green, yellow, or red. And then it talks about what are the things that are driving that intensity, the biggest loads, and what are the things that are creating the greatest resiliency? Top two, top two on each. And then it crosswalks you over based on the tagging of the answers to the resources that exist under your EAP, there's an ERG, there's a benefit design, there's a coach that most people, especially caregivers, have no idea exist. So we don't build the resources. We get people to the yep. resource. That's our raison d'etre. Yep, lovely. So, uh, and I don't want to compare it to some of the navig health navigators, but you're, in a way, you're trying to help caregivers uh, and navigate their daily struggles, their daily routine. What do I do for X, Y, Z? Who do I talk to? How do I handle uh, you know, the next appointment with so-and-so, or I, I'm, I'm making this up. I, I, well, I, but. Well, what you're saying in a, in a perfect world, like I die in heaven right now, like I'm done. Everybody in the U.S. has a navigator. And my job is not to be the navigator at Archangels. Our job is to get you to that navigator in that moment. Like we had a, um, a you know, series of caregiver crises. We've all had them. One in particular this past summer where I got a call from somebody who's caring for my dad and they said, I'm, your dad's about to get admitted to the hospital. And I realized that we had put in plan elaborate, we had put in place elaborate plans that my dad lives in Austin, Texas. If he got COVID, like what we would do, we would drive, we would get him, we would not let him go to the hospital. We forgot, my dad's 80, guess what? You can have a heart attack, you can have a stroke. And so in that moment, I got the call because I thought he was having a heart attack. I didn't know what to do. And I work in the space and I literally like blood drained from my face. You know who I called? I called Lisa Soonan. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> she was my red phone. I yeah. called Lisa because I didn't know what to do. I was walking around in my office in a tight little circle, hyperventilating, crying. Like I, I, I can't think, I don't know what to do. Everybody right. in the U S needs a red phone. So yeah. my job is to know you're in the red and get you to a red phone, whatever that red phone may be. Right, right. And and so who are you like? Who are you trying like like right now? Like your agenda with Archangel? Like, are you trying to um, get more people to become aware of the platform? Is it you know just some sense of like what's what's oh, your? Yeah, we are going to change the world. <laughs> the way we're going to do that is we're going to call these beautiful souls. We're going to give them away. People talk a lot about making caregivers self-identify. We got to help caregivers self-identify. I don't think so. That's another job for the caregiver. They don't need a job. It is our job as an environment, as a community, as an ecosystem to create ground that is so fertile with caregiver awareness that it's not for me to have to say, hey, everybody, I'm a caregiver. Can you help me? Or let alone have to go navigate through like list fatigue. I want to create a culture that somebody who knows me is like, babe, you are, you're in the red right now. You don't know what that means, but I do here.
do this quickly, or I'm just going to connect you right to Susanna Fox. What does she teach us, Eugene? Peer to peer. You know what you need, Alex? You need someone else who's insert what's going on for you, the person you're paying for. I'm going to connect you to them. So truly, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like uh, an instantaneous neural network of individuals uh, that can help at moment's notice uh, based on the question that you have, right? Um, so. And it could be an individual, yeah. or in some cases, it could be actually all they really needed was just to know I wasn't alone. I'm okay for now. It right. could be actually what I really want to do is sift through. I, I'm embarrassed talking to somebody still because I just don't want to talk about things personally. So what I want to do is watch videos about someone else's experience. What I want to do is answer a series of clinical questions about my, my mother's, whatever it might be. So the resources themselves, there's so many of them. Yeah. Our job is just to make sure that the tagging we have and what we're doing crosswalks over to how those resources are tagged and learn right. and learns and learns. So how do you, uh, and I'm curious if you've had discussions with like Esther or Dyson, right? The way to Belville um, and the, I'm sure, well, right? Um, because weekly. I think there's, there's so much in that happens locally within your five block radius in the community, right? And so I feel like the archangels and the way to Wellville as that those experiments keep spreading. This is, to me is almost like the perfect marriage to a certain extent. I no, no, I'll marry. And I'm not Esther. trying to merge you guys. I'll but. marry you right now, Esther. I <laughs> love her. A B. She's the smartest of all of us, right? Like she started doing Wellville. And what I love the most about what she did about it is she recognized no one's going to invest in it because there's no short term, you know, there's no up and to the right, you know, this will save us. No, it's a slog. If you really want to change something foundationally and culturally community based, which is the only way any of these things are actually going to change long term. It's not an app on its own. It's not a, you know, this on its own. It's you got to get in there and you got to learn the people. You got to earn their trust. And you got to find a way to scale what therefore feels unscalable, but is if you go back at those core tenants. And Wellville creates a situation where the community gets to speak for itself about what it wants to fix. And Wellville helps you organize that so that you, because people naturally, we call it pushing a rope. If you like swoop into a, a community and say, oh, you're so cute, community, you're all overweight, we're going to fix you. No, no one gets behind you and nothing changes. You do what right. Esther did and you go in and say, what community, what's getting you out of bed in the morning? What is your heart tearing to do? We're going to help you do that. Oh, it's, it's, you're worried about the level of childhood malnutrition or which is manifesting in early stage diabetes. We're going to help you with that. Esther starts there. And then she starts roping in by finding financial strings you know one of the other things we got to start getting this stuff that everybody calls public health into the main domain it's not public health it's not an other it needs to be the way we scale and sustain it is it needs to be paid for it needs to be on a line item in a budget that somebody pays somebody for it because it returns there's a return on it and esther everything she's building she's building with an eye towards how could i make this scalable when it starts at an end of one locally awesome
Awesome. So so much to unpack. I do have um, one question because you said something earlier. Retail is the front line of health, right? Um, and I'm actually curious on what your thoughts are. And we've seen everything being digitized, tele everything, you know, ordering. And I'm you know I'm sure at some point you know people are coming back to the stores, etc. But like you know, to your point, you stood in Walmart and you literally touched people, right? And exchanged a credit card or whatever it is. And where where is the post-COVID world in the tele versus the front lines being the retail in your mind? I think it's an and. I mean, I think one of the things, okay. one of the, I'll give an example that that's making crazy right now, which knits a lot of what we're talking about together, right? Access, telehealth, all the way through to reimbursement. So one of the things that I think um, makes me want to cry is when a whole room full of people get super excited about hospital at home. I agree on paper, hospital at home is super sexy, right? Mm. When you, and for some people, those individuals who have a home that's ready for it, who have yep. digital access that's paid for, that's big enough for it, Right. And who want to do it. Right. And they can do it because they don't have a full-time job that in going to is the only way they're supporting the, the having of this roof. And so for me, when I think about, you know, whether it's, whether it's in-person or digital paid for by a state or an employer or health plan, what matters the most is understanding what is that environment that you're trying to influence capable of doing, wanting to do, able to do in more than one day or two days? And if you just take someone from the hospital and dump them into a house, there are long-term repercussions of that for, does that unpaid caregiver now have to quit their job? Maybe you gave them three days of a home care aid, but not 20. And the home care aids only during the day. Well, what about if I have to get up all night? So you covered me during the day, but I got to do it all night. I got to quit my job again. So for me, Eugene, it's it's digging into those details of let's look at something everyone's excited about, like hospital at home, and let's push on it and say yeah. yes. And, and what works. does it mean to the surroundings and and yeah. and the family and friends and everything else? Yeah, yeah. And the home Jim. is a. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. The, go ahead. The, the home is such a like it, it's such a fluid environment, you know, and. You know, this idea, like it's easy in a boardroom to describe the home as, you know, everyone pictures their own home and, you know, in a certain environment with a certain level of maybe even like people involved in it. And, you know, having built up companies in that space before, it's so fluid, it's so uh, heterogeneous that you don't know what you're walking into and you have to kind of like, you almost have to stay in order, like anything you do in healthcare, if you deliver healthcare, you have to stabilize the environment you're in, in order to be able to protocolize it and do it efficiently. And the home, you're constantly set in an environment of like not knowing what you're entering into. And, and it changes, you know. So Jim, I know. The, no, go ahead, go ahead. The call I was just on before, Marcus was on it too. And the, there was a group of other people and everybody was talking about um, a household and supporting a household. And in their mind, what became clear is everybody was thinking of there's a mama, there's a papa, and there's kids. Right. And you work at Walmart, you know, that's not, that's not the norm. And you look at the data. So Marcus shared the data. So 
parental with kids households is down insane amounts. But what's doubling is single parent households with kids mm -hmm. or right. multiple family households. So um, if the view you have in your head, that's doubled too. So if the view you have in your head is I'm designing my beautiful, delicious, super sexy app and this, cause that's gonna go to the mama and the papa and the kids. Like, no, that's not what's happening. It's a, right. it's a wildly different. And that's especially true with LGBTQ. It's especially true with black. Right. It's especially true with Hispanic Latinx. So hmm. I think that Jen, that's a very important point that you gotta break out of this mindset of what it is. Right. And, and, and Jim, um, you know, I'm just, I'm a timekeeper here because we can truly pull a Tim Harris on this for two hours. But um, first, first comment to you, Jim, you should definitely do your board meetings and your, and your glasses. Even though you say the same thing, you just sound very much, much smarter. Just that way. Very handsome. Um, very <laughs> I was fishing for a compliment. Do you want, do you want to do your. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. So, so listen, so, so right now having like, I love your experience unbelievable started off watching your dad do angel investments all the way through your building your own companies and archangels and and I, I haven't met anyone that went back in life to do the walmart uh, cashier job just amazing what's your what's your advice to the healthcare startup that just come through the last year right now where, where do they need to focus um and i think this is especially true if somebody's raised a lot of money. Um, I think it's easy to believe our own narrative. And it's hurtful to have people crap on what you're thinking. And so I would say, get out into, get real people to pay real money, whether that's an individual or it's an employer or it's a health plan. Do not believe that just because you have money in the bank, the ideas we had for Eliza early on, every single one of them did not fly. The only right. reason we figured out what did fly is because we had no alternative because we had no money. And Love when it. I think about Archangels, it's the same thing. Like our super adorable, very clever, looked great on the whiteboard ideas for Archangels didn't work. So what do we do? We just keep going and going and going. And so I think, and I would also say, I don't believe that everything is up and to the right. And I don't believe that scaling fast is the only way to go. And I, I think that to some extent, we, there's a, the, the fact that four people in the US right now have more money than the bottom 50% of the population. The fact that I just have to say bottom 50%, like then half of the country, I think is unsustainable. Right. I think this is where people begin to really crack and so I would say, if you're not exposed on a regular basis to people who are not as privileged as we all happen to be, get exposed, get raw, see if somebody really wants to pay you their money, not use your money. Um, and that's going to hurt your feelings, but that's okay because you will, it is through that process that you will figure out what real people actually do want to pay for. And not just once, but but multiple multiple times. Real people paying real money. That's awesome. Good advice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Look at that. I even used the uh, the little heart thing. <laughs> yeah. Alex was such a such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Was uh, spontaneous and meticulously unproduced as always. 
I just wish I could ask you guys a hundred thousand questions about what you're doing. Cause I think I'm like, this is boring for me, but I know what you guys are doing. Again, these are my like five prepared. I have notes for you guys. Like we will follow up so I can ask we'll, you. We'll, we'll absolutely catch up. Sounds absolutely. Good. Thank you, and Alex. To all the listeners awesome. and viewers, hit that subscribe button and spread the love and scars. Spread the <laughs> love, love and scars, baby. Absolutely.